podcast about many strange and spooky movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by, and on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Katie, and the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. And I'm Brittany, and the second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast. Hey, hey guys, we're about to break the rules today on this episode. (laughs) Breaking all the rules. That's that's a different movie. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh how are you Brittany I'm good Katie how have you been doing I'm good I'm I'm drinking a white claw and a red bull so I can both stay energized and I don't know calm at the same time maybe they'll ca- I have my little aha sparkling water too so if I need hydration so I feel like I've never used so many cans as I have since I've been quarantined because I just keep buying like cans of uh like LaCroix and stuff to stay hydrated but i'm using my like aluminum straw like nobody's business I'm so you're excited. being like you're being environmentally conscious and you're being good to your teeth too so save the turtles y'all i do still have some plastic straws but i bought them before the turtle crisis was brought to my attention so i will use them but i'm trying to use my aluminum straw more so very good uh, very what have you been up to um, so I've just been working, um, and going home and working and going home and occasionally going to the grocery store. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's good. Things have kind of started opening, kind of reopening in our area, but not really. Anyways, uh, we watched Fight Club this week. Yeah. And, um, I think Brittany had seen it before. Yes. And... This was the first time I had seen it all the way through. Um, so I'm going to let Brittany kind of take the reign on the beginning of the podcast until we get to spoilers, and then we'll kind of both talk. But Brittany, you go ahead, and I'm going to listen to okay. all that. Um, so I'll give kind of a basic synopsis. I think most of our viewers are probably, more than any other movie I felt like we've reviewed so far, I feel like Fight Club is probably going to be the most no, like it's going to be the movie that most people are familiar with for sure. Um, it also has, yeah, it has time on its hands. It's been out now for 21 years, which kind of hurts me to say. Uh, I know, <laughs> but I will say, and I, I mean, I think I mentioned this to you, you know, before we started recording. But my boyfriend, who does he likes to listen to our podcast, and it's nice to have somebody that you trust listen and kind of give you an honest opinion. And he was kind of surprised we were doing Fight Club because like now it seems like such a run of the mill, like everyday movie that everybody knows, but it was kind of a cult movie when it was released. Yeah. So like it totally fits kind of our genre of films that we generally pick. It's kind of like Parasite. It was an underdog. It wasn't expected to be like, a hit but it ended up becoming one later in life so 
Yeah, exactly. And to give a little background, um, of course, whether it's you are somehow new to Fight Club, which if you are, congratulations. I'm glad you are learning about this this very common cult film. But, um, but if you're new, you have to fight. Yes, exactly. That <laughs> is, I think that is the eighth and final rule of Fight Club. And um, also, <laughs> since this movie has been out 21 years, I think I'm averaging seeing it once every two years at this point. So I've almost seen it. Ten times. Oh. <laughs> oh, so this is like a movie that's in your repertoire. Oh yeah. So this is okay. Like, this is this movie, and <laughs> um, it, this is the movie that you think of. What I think of is like you, the guy you have a crush on high school. It's his favorite <laughs> movie, and he says he likes it because of the anti-communism, anti-consumerism themes and going on in there. But really, he just likes seeing other guys beat the shit out of each other. Like, <laughs> which it's, I I thought I thought this whole movie was about honestly before I saw it because the marketing for this movie is basically like dudes fight, but that's it. The movie has a lot more to it, which I was like pleasantly surprised about. Um, but yeah, yeah, and so of course, Fight Club is a 1999 cult film based on the 1996 satirical novel of the same name by author Chuck Palahniuk. The film follows an unnamed narrator who suffers from insomnia and begins attending group therapy sessions for illnesses and diseases he does not have. When he meets soap salesman Tyler Durden by coincidence, together the two men form their own brand of group therapy by starting an underground fight club. However, as Fight Club starts to expand and Tyler forms an anti-consumerism cult, the narrator starts to realize the exact monster he has created. Well, um... I'm going to start by giving you guys kind of a refresher on the characters in Fight Club. So there's the narrator, the unnamed 30-year-old protagonist who, um, he's unnamed in the film, but he is referred to as Jack in the script. So if you guys ever decide to venture out and read the Fight Fight Club script, he is called Jack throughout the script. Fun fact, he's actually named Sebastian in Fight Club 2, but we won't go into that because that's the novel. Isn't that a graphic novel? Yes, it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. I haven't read it. I heard it's actually um, it's actually very meta. And the point of the second one is that it's actually making fun of the first Fight Club. But that's a whole other subject. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Just no. It's really it's really really cool. Um, but he's a recall specialist for a major auto company who suffers from insomnia, and he has a general lack of direction. He's kind of an everyman, so he's definitely like one of those characters you're kind of made to identify with. Um, and then there's Tyler Durden, who's very char- a charismatic soap salesman. He's the exact opposite of the narrator. Um, there's Marla. Marla is a little neurotic. Marla's my favorite character. Marla's your favorite character. Okay. <laughs> yes. She's, I, it's Helena Bonham Carter. Yes. And she's now known for just being in weird uh, Tim Burton movies. And she's just always, like, weird characters. And I kind of, like, I feel bad because that's kind of how I've been judging her as an actor is, like, oh, yeah, like, she's playing Madame Thernadier in Les Mis. That's a good choice because she's weird and wacky and has big old creepy eyes. And I'm, so, I'm sorry, Lena Bonham you're not creepy. It's just Tim Burton movies. Everybody has those big eyes. So I was pleasantly surprised at how, like, she just became her character. Like she didn't seem like Helena Bottom Carter. I actually forgot she was in this movie 
And the first time I watched it, I watched it on my little TV in my bedroom, which was bad. But I was just really tired. And I turned it on. Actually, I think I t- watched it on Mother's Day, like that evening when I got home. Yeah, I think so. And I didn't really like the the um like the visuals weren't great on that little TV. Like it was really dark because it's an older TV. And so I didn't really pick up that it was her because it doesn't sound like her until like probably the second scene she was in. I was like, oh, hold on a minute. Is that Helena Bottom Carter? And she's just, I just love her so much in this movie. Not that everyone did a good job, but yeah. I just thought I didn't expect her to be so good in this movie, even though she's not even, she's a big part, but she's definitely not seen as much as, the, um, as Tyler and the narrator. Yeah, and I would definitely agree with that. And she actually, um, so as we know, um, very early on in the movie, the narrator's attending these group therapy events um, to kind of get a good night's (laughs) sleep. (laughs) Uh, And she actually, he calls her a tourist, uh, which is what he is. So she also does not suffer from anything wrong with her, but she also just attends these group therapy sessions to just get something out of them. So They're such assholes. (laughs) Like, they're both assholes. They're terrible people. They go to, like, cancer group therapy sessions because they just like seeing other people suffer. Like, but it's also, like, it's a cathartic thing, and I get it, kind of. But I'm like, shouldn't you just go see a therapist or something, like, privately? Like, (laughs) I don't know. It's a different time. It was 1999, and it was written in 1996, so it was a different time. You know, the Spice Girls were really big, so. Yeah. What actually brings me to one of my favorite characters um, is Bob, who is also known as Robert Paulson. Uh, he is. A- I love Bob. I love Bob. Bob is played by Meatloaf, and Meatloaf. Oh my God! I know. Bob. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I love Meatloaf. I love uh, what is it? A dashboard. What? Paradise yeah. by the Dashboard Light. I couldn't remember the That's first one. I love that song. That's what my mom. I, I keep. It's your mom's favorite song. Oh, yeah. um, but I do love him. And I was like, is that Meatloaf? He's been in a couple movies lately that I didn't realize he was in. He is in Spice World, too. Isn't he? He's like the driver in Spice World. I have not seen that movie probably since I was like eight years old, to be honest. It I, is insane. I remember watching it in college at our friend Karen's apartment. I don't think Karen will mind that I'm saying her name because she... um. Which, like, because she actually listens to the podcast and she's been very supportive of it. Thanks, Karen. We appreciate you. But Karen, um, I I do own it on VHS because I found it at a thrift store. But I hadn't seen it in like a really really long time until that point. And now I've seen it like now it's like a feel good movie for me. It's stupid. Spice World is a very stupid movie, but it's not trying to be smart. So I kind of love it. Meatloaf, he's the, I think he's the bus driver oh. in Spice World, and he's really supportive of the girls, oh. so he's been in a lot of movies as, like, minor roles, yeah. so anyways, but Meatloaf plays Bob. And oh, Bob. He, I love him in this movie, because Bob is, like, so we meet Bob very early on in the film, and one of the first scenes of the movie is actually uh, the narrator pressed up against Bob's quote-unquote bitch tits. And and poor Bob, he was a juicer. Um, he ended up losing his uh, testicles. And so he's in a group therapy. He's actually suffering. So he is yeah, an actual yeah. member of this group therapy. But him and 
him and the narrator take to each other, and they be, they actually form a pretty close companionship with each other and become good friends. So um, it's very nice to see Bob uh, yeah. throughout most of the movie, for sure. Yeah, he's he becomes he comes back. Yeah, like you see him and you kind of forget about him, and then so does the narrator, and then he comes back, and I was like, oh Bob, I love Bob, yeah. and then he kind of plays an important role until almost the end. Like yeah, he keeps kind of coming back. So I. Uh, He's, he was a good character. I like that they had... There's not a lot of named characters in this movie. A lot of it is about anonymity. Which is, you know, like, the, the narrator gives a different name for every um, support group he goes to. And I don't even think Marla's 100% sure what his name is. Yeah. Because like, she asks him at one point, what is your name? Is it, is it like Cornelius or Daniel? What is it? And so, like, there's this whole anonymity persona because like at fight club you don't have a name yeah like because it's anonymous and also no money traded which you know honestly in a capitalist society missed opportunity because you could have made a whole heck of a lot of money off fight club but i don't think it is a a treatise on consumerism so i think that was the point it's there it's very much so leveling the ground so it's like how even they have to take off their shoes and their shirts and it's like two guys per fight it's like very much that you're on even ground when you're in fight club yeah except they made bob bitch tits leave his shirt on because meatloaf had to wear a hundred pound fat suit full of bird seed so he could have bitch tits i found that bit of trivia really exciting i was like that's because i was like why is he wearing a shirt that's not a fight club rule. Um, but it's because he had to wear a giant fat suit. And I guess they didn't know how to make it look real without a shirt. So, Yes. I've also noticed every time I watch it that every time we see him, the nipples are very hard. Like, <laughs> I, Maybe, again, I watched it on a little TV and then I watched it on my Kindle. So There is one other character I want to mention, even though... He plays a very, very small supporting part. There is Angel Face, who is played by Jared Leto. I was about to say. Yes. <laughs> it's Jared Leto. It's Jared Leto. It's one of I Jared didn't Leto know he was in this movie. movie. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't notice it was him until I looked up the trivia. He really doesn't look like how he looks now. Yeah. So, um, and also I think this is his best role to date. Although, I have yet to see Dallas Buyers Club, which... I do want to see, but I'm not, I, I was editing our Birdman episode earlier this week and we both, I, I think I was more harsh, but I had to cut out a whole conversation we had about how awful Jared Leto is as a fellow actor because he's a method actor. And when he played the Joker, he did all these terrible things to people because he was in character. So he deeply annoys me, but I don't think he's without talent He's just one of those actors where you really have to rein him in. If you let him loose, it's just a nightmare. And I'm pretty sure this he his part was just small enough in this movie that he couldn't overdo himself like he did when he was the Joker. So I thought it was a good movie. And apparently his band like had just hit it big right before this movie came out. And that's what I was about to say. With, uh, when I think of Jared Leto, my mind goes two places. It's like Reckless for a Dream, 30 Seconds to Mars. Reckless for a dream, thirty seconds to Mars. So I'm like, I no, mean, it's, it's the it's the Joker baby for me now because uh, ooh. I guess we should talk a little bit, Katie, about um why you should or should not see this, and uh, I know you're very excited. 
Is that right? <laughs> uh, I do think you should see this movie. I think I don't want to I don't want to get into any spoilers because here's my view on this movie is something was spoiled for me about this movie before I watched it, which is the reason why I put off watching it for such a long time because I was hoping my brain would forget about what I had been told. Of course it didn't, but um I definitely think it influenced how I watched the movie. And I feel like I judged the movie more harshly because of it. And I do think it's a movie that did certain things before a lot of other movies have. Like, a lot of movies have um, definitely copied or been influenced. One of my absolute favorite TV shows, which I know I've mentioned. I don't know if I've edited it out, but I think I've mentioned before. Um, which I don't want to tell Brittany because it'll ruin the television show. Well, I don't know if it'll completely ruin the television show because it's something they reveal in the first season. But um, just plug your ears, Brittany. It's <laughs> Mr. Robot. You can unplug him now. Okay. It's honestly the best show we've had on television in the past five years. And yes, I'm including Game of Thrones oh, because, no. But because, no, 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 listen to me. Because <laughs> this show is perfectly structured from the first episode to the very last episode. Everything comes together. It's beautifully constructed. Game of Thrones, they just kind of gave up after season yeah. six. So it's not that Game of Thrones is bad. Game of Thrones is amazing. But it just isn't as complete as the other show that I'm talking about. But th this movie influences that show. And the creator is very honest about that fact. They're like, oh, definitely. We take a lot of stuff from Fight Club. Um, and it's a lot closer than I knew it was. But so I'm grateful for Fight Club because they did a lot of things that hadn't been necessarily done before. But looking back on it, there's a lot of stuff that's sloppy about this movie that I don't know if it's filmmaking sloppy or if it's just they didn't know better in 1999 um and I was 10 <laughs> when this movie came out so I can't really judge how movies were made um and how certain aspects of life were known like and I don't want to everything I'm thinking about is spoiler territory but basically what I'm saying is don't look up anything about Fight Club turn this podcast off if you haven't seen it and go watch it because it's on HBO. And it is a decent movie. And I think if you like, like if you've heard of Edward Norton, but you're not really sure if you like him, or if like you want to see young Brad Pitt, definitely watch it. Um, I think it's Edward Norton does a fantastic job. I think Brad Pitt does a good job too. It is funny though, because I don't know if you watched any of these, Brittany, but I watched a bunch of, not a bunch, but they have a couple interviews out from when it was released. And... <laughs> I mean, Brad Pitt is very intelligent now, but Brad Pitt was kind of just a pretty boy for many years. He did do Seven several years before, and honestly, I, I kind of liked him better in that movie, but he was more of a main character, so it makes more sense. He had more personality in Seven. He was more... Tyler Durden's kind of uncomplicated. Yeah. He's just kind of Mr. Cool Guy. That's all he is. And that's it serves a good purpose. There's a reason for him to be like that, but I won't ruin it for you. Um, he was in Seven, 
And then he was in this movie. And I don't know if it's working on this movie and being Mr. Cool Guy or he just bleached his hair too much or used too much hair gel. But they would ask questions and... <laughs> Like, he would try to answer something, and he just couldn't phrase it correctly. And, I mean, I've been there, too, where, like, I have this brilliant idea in my brain, and then, like, my brain just betrays me at the last minute. But then Edward Norton would just pick up the slack and answer these questions so intelligently, and he would use, like, big words, but like it was actually in his vocabulary, not like he was putting them on, just naturally, and I was like, Edward Norton is so much more intelligent than Brad Pitt. And I feel really bad for Brad Pitt. Yet, Brad Pitt has an Oscar and Edward Norton does it. How does that make sense? It's sad. I mean, I, I think I really liked Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood. I, I think he did a great job. I really liked Brad Pitt in that movie. I think it's probably the, my favorite performance of his. Um, the other one, I liked Seven a lot. Um but I, I think he's really grown as an actor and a person because now that he is a very talented, like nuanced actor, he's way better at being having a nuanced role than he was when he was younger. Like he can do those roles and people do cast him because he's gotten older. He's still very attractive. Oh, yeah. But um, although I was never on the Brad Pitt train, don't know why. I, I think I was just tired of hearing about him because everyone was like, Brad Pitt. I think he's like a fine wine. I, me personally, not saying that I can't appreciate a shirtless Brad Pitt in Fight Club, but I mean, he is looking. That man is ripped. He's looking Ugh. good in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Just either he wasn't. I don't think he was very practiced in like talking to people about anything other than like, so how are you and Jen and all this like superficial stuff. Because I think David Fincher wanted him, but then somebody wanted Colin Farrell for this part. Which yeah. I was like, he would have been good too, honestly. But I don't think he was as well known as Brad Pitt. And I think they were counting on people to literally see this because Brad Pitt's shirtless through half of it. Yeah. Wore in a teacup robe, which was, I had a robe like that. It didn't have teacups on it. It had like, it actually, it's one like the princess is sleeping. I still have it, but I never wear it because it's worn out. But I'm like, I love it. But D in, um, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia wears it. She has that robe, too. And I was like, oh, my God, Sweet D has my robe. So, but I had a robe very similar to the Brad Pitt one. And that probably amused me quite a lot. Because I was like, why is he wearing a girl's robe? It's like a 16-year-old yeah. girl's robe. Did he have well, sex with a 16-year-old girl? I like a lot of the choices they do in that movie. Like, I like uh, the scene where they open the... I guess we're going to start getting into spoiler territory. Okay, yeah, okay. Let's, okay, wait. So, yeah, before we get too far, you should go see this movie on HBO. Uh, I will give the warning that this movie is very dated now. Um, it's very much a product of the late 90s, early 2000s, and I didn't realize how much it was until I started watching it. Um, more of Brad Pitt, their fashion choices... And there's some directing choices, which I'll get into later, that kind of I didn't like because, but I think it's more of the time it was made. I think it probably was really cool yeah. in 1999, but watching some of it now, I'm like, it's just like a, I think, and computer generation was so much further back, back then. Like it was not as advanced. So there's a lot of like computer stuff they do that people nowadays will probably laugh at, but yeah. it's a good movie. It's a movie that did a lot of stuff before any other movie did it 
And like, and this isn't giving anything away, but there's a Pixies song at the very end of this movie. <laughs> and everybody uses that song now. And I don't think they would have used this song if uh, David Fincher hadn't been like, yeah, I want to use this Pixies song. Definitely. Oh, I think it's like, what is it? Where's my mind? I think this is mine. Yeah. You'll remember it, like, because it's, ooh, it's like, like, little voices at the beginning. You'll be like, oh, it's that song. I'm sure people have used it on, like, memes for YouTube and stuff. But anyways, go see it. We're going to get into spoilers. Yeah. And I I definitely want to talk just a little bit about why. um, And I'm wondering how many people out there may have been like me. Um, So I feel like there's definitely going to be two groups of people. I think me and you are very representative of both of those groups. It's probably the group that has heard about this movie, never seen it, go, yeah, I really should see that movie. I've heard people talk about it. And then there's people like me that literally this is one of those movies that has just been ingrained in your life. <laughs> and, and when you have certain movies that you've watched so many times, it's like, it's really, it's the opinion that you probably would have naturally had is blurred by yes people you know and so like the very first time I saw Fight Club I my dad rented it and that's what this is one of those movies that um you brought up earlier Katie it, it kind of did not do well at the box office a lot of people were unsure about it uh it just you know it was just a weird movie it was a very weird movie well, and word of mouth got out and word of mouth is what really helped this movie and DVD it did fantastic with DVD rentals yeah and sales. I think it played a lot on like Cinemax and not not Skinamax, Cinemax, yeah. the actual Cinemax, and yeah. like HBO and stuff. Because I remember seeing commercials for this all the time as a kid, and all, all I knew was there was a soap bar and mm-hmm. dudes fighting, and that's really all I knew about it. But it, there were a lot of really tough things about this movie. Um, Mark, when we started spoilers, about at an hour. Um, sorry, what was I saying? Okay, so. This movie had a lot of stuff kind of thrown at it that made it not as um, successful as I think it could have been. Uh, one thing was the Columbine Massacre oh, yeah. uh, happened in between filming and when it was released. So it hadn't happened when they finished it. And they had already, I think they had finished editing the movie by the time it happened. So... There's a scene in it, now that we're in spoilers, where Edward Norton's character, like, makes a fake threat to shoot up the office. And not, obviously, it couldn't have influenced them. I mean, maybe the book, if it's in the book, I guess maybe it could have influenced the Columbine shooters. But um, they didn't know it was going to happen when they filmed it, and it was too late to re-film it. Because back then, this was actually filmed on film. So it wasn't like digital where you could just replace a file. You would have to physically get the whole set back. And like it, there's, it was a lot more work to refilm something back then. You basically didn't do it unless there was something truly wrong after a certain point. And they almost cut the scene. But there's a very important part at the end of the scene where Marla calls the narrator and has him come over. And so you wouldn't know why he was at the other in the next scene if you hadn't shown that scene. So they had to keep it in. And there's also a lot of violence in this movie. So a lot of people just weren't into violence. Yeah. When this movie got, when this movie was released, nobody was really into seeing violent movies because it's kind of like now 
you know, we're all stuck inside and a lot of people have kind of a, a depression going and they don't really want to watch a depressing movie. They want to watch something funny or like it reminded me of like the vibe after September 11th, like people like at first didn't want to really do anything. And then the movies that they did try to release were all like kind of happy movies yeah. and like, cause like you want an escape. So when things are better, I think you have maybe less sad, you have more sad movies cause people, yeah. they're more successful cause people are okay with it being an escape. But I think that was a really big thing against them. And also this movie was a nightmare to market apparently because nobody really knew how to market it because it is such a strange movie. Um, it's not very straightforward at all. And that's where it's, um, it's, it's also, it's obviously a satire. And what I've always kind of felt like about satires is I love satire, but not everyone. I, I know it's so great. Like when I read a modest proposal in high school, I was like, this is so funny. I <laughs> love a modest proposal. I thought it was the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And nobody got it. So we had touched a little bit. I mean, Katie, were talking actually before we started filming Chuck Palahniuk, who wrote um, Fight Club. He's actually very, all of his novels are very heavily satired and, I love it. I feel like, and I've read so many Chuck Paul Nook books, and he was my favorite author in high school, and he's, I still have a very soft spot for Chuck in my heart. Um, but the voice of this film, I feel like, captures the tones of his novel so well. And his novels are very strange. Like, I would say Fight Club is probably one of the more normal one of his novels. Interesting. Yeah, he has very, very strange um, stories and characters, and the things that happen in Fight Club like, honestly, they feel like elementary compared to other things I've read in some of his books. That's just my mm-hmm. opinion. But I think that can turn off a lot of people, too. I think people that's, can get... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, satire is polarizing. Yeah. I personally love if you can... I love making fun of terrible people by playing them. I think yeah. it's really funny. It's like Taika Watiti playing Hitler in Jojo Rabbit. Or Mel Brooks play like uh, doing Springtime for Hitler in the original producers. Like it's satire. Like you're not saying this is right. You're saying what these people actually said. If you've ever seen the the great, is it The Little Dictator or The Greatest Dictator by Charlie Chaplin? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Where it he, is The Greatest Dictator. The speech at the end. That's like one of the most famous yeah. movie moments like, ever. It's yeah. a great movie, but, but it's a very satirical movie. Yeah, But I find it interesting, like, because I think people got offended by Fight Club because they probably didn't understand that it was satire. Yeah. And, you know, and people do that all the time. And that's kind of reminded me, it's off topic, on topic a little bit, but since me and you have, um, it kind of reminds me of The Nightingale. One of my favorite, um, one of my absolute favorite TV shows as of this past Sunday aired a very controversial uh, season finale in which um, the main characters raped, which to this day, um, television writers are struggling whether or not to portray rape because, you know, a lot of people think it's not good to have a rape plot line to advance part of the story. But at the same time, we can't pretend these issues don't exist. But at the same time, how do we show them differently so it's not offending people are triggering people and it's kind yeah. of the same way. we can't take away these things but at the same time it's hard to figure out how to portray 
certain things. So even like comedy, like you were talking about, we definitely don't want to erase that there was a time that it was seen comedic, but how do we change with the times and what's acceptable, what's not acceptable nowadays? I guess I'm a lot more in the camp of, you know, I understand that things can be triggering for people, but I feel like it's within our own responsibility to look up movies and see what content they have before we watch them. And if something's going to be triggering for you, don't watch it. I feel like with a movie, yeah, you can definitely do that. Like, so if me and you were talking about Nightingale and we, you know, very early on in our discussion, we're like, you know, there, there is a rape scene in this movie, but if you're watching one of your favorite TV shows and then a rape of your favorite character comes out practically nowhere, it's a little different. So, I mean, I guess it is, but I mean, what show was this? Oh, you want me to spoil it? Sure. It's I'm curious out- if I've seen it. Yeah, it's what? Outlander. Yeah, the problem with it now is that all three main members of the family have been raped in different seasons of the show. I just, I, I, I don't think it's the job of directors to decide what's appropriate and what's inappropriate because we have a rating system for that. There is a TV rating system. I, I don't think you should have to stifle your creativity. Now, I personally don't like movies especially by people like Rob Zombie who use rape as almost like an entertainment device yeah. like he does it with such like a I don't know it's just an irreverence that and a dishonesty that I just don't like I was not offended by the rape in Nightingale because it felt honest. And also like, maybe it's because I knew it was going to happen. I knew something bad was going to happen in the beginning. Uh, Like they weren't lying to us. They were like, it's going to be a rough movie. This is what's going to like, things are going to happen. Yeah. Watch out. You know, that's what we have a rating system for. I don't know. Is that too harsh? I don't know. How do you feel about it? Since I just went on a tangent. No, I can agree. Um, it's a very hard thing. I, I don't know. I think to me, it really depends on how the scene is acted and how the scene is directed. And I think a lot of that depends on if it can be, if it's something that can be handled tasteful, tastefully or not. Um, so it's kind of like you said, like the Nightingale versus the remake of Halloween. Like you can have two scenes set up, but you know, they're going to, they're both going to make you feel some kind of way, but maybe you can understand one better than the other because of the way the actor and the directors handled it. So, yeah, that's probably a very different, that's probably a very long subject for another day. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm probably, we just had a very, I just went on a tangent, so I'll probably cut a lot of it off, but basically I don't like, I get how people can, be offended by something or be triggered by something but because art is subjective I think simply by policing it we're not really gonna keep people from being triggered anyways so I really think it's more of the person's personal responsibility to look at art and be like okay like ask people who have seen it like hey is there anything triggering in it but you can disagree with us and that's fine like it's totally okay guys like comment down below or yeah. send us a message. Like, it's it's okay if you disagree. And if you're a parent, I would love to hear what parents feel about this. Because I personally don't have any children. Brittany has fur babies. But I don't think they're as affected by movies as human babies. So, <laughs> uh, we don't really know. I mean, you have a nephew, though. So, you know a little bit more than I do. 
and my nephew and that's the thing we kind of had very as you can tell since i was watching fight club when i was 10 years old um we weren't um very and Jaden's the same way my nephews um are 13 and 9 um and my brother raises them in a very similar fashion we were raised in which is we know the truth of movie magic and we know things are not real and we're taught like you know kind of like when we saw psycho at a very early age that's chocolate syrup not blood you just need to know your own kids and figure out what yeah. they can handle you know everybody's different and if we we can't cookie cutter yeah. everybody everybody is not a gingerbread cookie person I and you're gonna think this is weird but i saw probably pulp fiction and vincent price's the house on haunted hill around the same time when i was a child and I don't think the, oh, man, I just shot Marvin scene affected me at all. <laughs> but, That's but a great scene, though. It is a great scene. But the dance just, skeleton, the, the witch the witch on the freaking roller that skate. That is scary, though. Yeah. That, but it's also, like, a jump scare. So maybe that. But she's frightening. Yeah. It's a jump scare. I don't think there's any, like, loud noises. It's been a long time. I've seen that movie, but... It's been years since I saw it all the way through, but I've seen that scene several times because people like to use it as, like, the first jump scare. Um, But I don't think there's even a loud noise that accompanies it. It's just kind of subtly a jump scare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I guess guess what I want to talk about, too, is the fact that now that... So we can get back to Fight Club... um, I'm curious. I don't. I don't even know if I got into this when I, we were talking before. But now that we're in spoilers, um, I do want to say, someone spoiled the fact that spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Turn this I off before I say this. Spoiler. Twenty year old spoiler. Twenty <laughs> year old spoiler. But still, I think it affected the way I viewed the movie because I knew what the spoiler was. So, uh, spoiler. Tyler Durden is part of the narrator they are the same person and of course this part was the part that was ruined for me before I watched the movie so I personally saw all of the clues throughout the entire movie because I already knew what the twist was going to be and I do get I have to give this movie credit because they did this whole they are the same person twist and before anybody else did it. Um, I do think that this movie did this well for the time. And I think that it was a twist that if you didn't know it was coming, you wouldn't have seen coming, but they give a lot of clues. Like if you listen to Marla, Helena bottom Carter's character, she speaks the truth the entire time. I kept writing that in my notes when I watched it. I was like, Marla is always telling the truth because she says that he's a crazy person. She's like, how many, what's your real name? Like, if you listen to what Marla says, you can figure it out really easily. But I I would guess if you, if you don't know the twist, it's surprising. And I do think they revealed it well. Like, the way they revealed it was a lot smoother than I thought it was going to be. But... I can't, they were a little sloppy in some ways and really tight in other ways. Like, and I'm I'm coming from someone who's watched television that did this twist very well. So spoilers for Mr. Robot, but I don't want to spoil too much. But Mr. Robot pays much more attention to the physical nature of the two characters. 
um, you can easily understand their physical structure, like how they could be two different people, but also the same person. It's very easy because they pay amazingly good attention to where they place characters, how they talk, how they gesture, how people react to them. And they do a lot of that in Fight Club. Like, there is a scene on a bus where, like, somebody pushes past Tyler, doesn't say anything, and then he pushes past the narrator and says, oh, excuse me. They do some of it, but they're a little sloppy in explaining how could this be possible. Because they say, that, I, I don't know if it's just because the novel didn't go into it, maybe, and that's why they didn't really bother with it. Like, usually, I would say over-explaining can be bad, but in this case, I want it to know more. Like, I want it to know what is going on with the narrator because in my in my opinion which i haven't heard them say this yes or no and i looked up some research and nothing really pulled up about what kind of disorder um the narrator has because i don't think he could have dissociative identity disorder which used to be called multiple personality disorder because you have to be a trauma you have to um, receive some kind of trauma before your personality is fully formed. And that usually happens by the age of 7 to 10. So he doesn't talk about a traumatic incident that caused him to create this other self. So I'm curious, was Tyler Durden there since he was a little kid and he is a dissociative identity? Um, or is it just him dreaming because of his insomnia? Yeah. And that's where it's hard, too, because I, I always think about this in the sense of, like, not, you know, watching, for example, this is off topic, on topic, but Game of Thrones. When you're watching the TV show Game of Thrones, you try after a while to go, we can't take the television show and think about the books. But in the second Fight Club book, which, spoiler for the second Fight Club book, they actually explain it's a hereditary thing. That essentially this idea of Tyler Durden happens throughout different members of, like, the narrator's mind. Like, different members of the narrator's family has a version of Tyler present inside wait. them. Yeah. Wait, yeah. so it's JoJo's bizarre adventure, but with mental health issues? Pretty, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are they the are they the Durgen Star family? I mean, sorry, I finally started watching JoJo's bizarre adventure, so. And it's like, it's like the narrator's son has Tyler in him. But once again, this is in the, the this is in the, storyline of the novels so I don't know if we yeah. let that affect the movie storyline or what how that works so <laughs> I'm curious if it's just because they didn't know like look at a beautiful mind right they say that he has schizophrenia and there's a lot of good things about a beautiful mind they do show a side of someone who is suffering from a mental disease disorder I don't really know the correct politically correct term for it so please I'm not trying to be offensive but they have a mental disorder that they are dealing with and they do show in that movie and it is based on a true story that like it's based on a true story but I've heard a lot of things are huge exaggerations in that movie but they do show a positive light with having a mental disorder how you can turn something terrible into something wonderful and I, I think that is great about a beautiful mind, but like schizophrenia is very different than 
how that movie portrays them because schizophrenia technically you generally just have voices you very very rarely actually see other people like you don't really see them and but back then we all thought that oh this is what schizophrenia is i like movies where you can see both yeah like you can see both sides of the coin like the scientific medical reason and the movie reason and i think that shows like mr robot do a much better job of explaining why this happens in an actually medically sound way. Now, I think Mr. Robot takes a lot of liberty because the personalities, like, they do talk to each other in, like, head spaces that I don't think people really have. From what I've seen, I've, I, like to, I like to watch a lot of people with dissociative identity disorder. A lot of them have YouTube channels, and I think it's very interesting to hear how they see their other personalities. So I'm curious, is Tyler Durden, and I don't, it's alters, I'm sorry. The correct term is alters. I'm, I'm curious, is Tyler Durden an alter? Like, has he been there since he was a kid? Because you could say that's true. Or is it just, he's, it's, because they bring up the insomnia and they make it sound like that's why he has it. But I've also read a lot of people with, dissociative identity disorder and i could be wrong but i have heard a lot of people have problems with insomnia just like incidentally like i don't know if it's caused by it or if it's just people happen to have insomnia or i mean again you have to have an inciting incident that's what like i guess that's what kind of bothered me like he mentions that he had a shitty childhood and his dad left but i i guess i and i don't know if they understood this disorder yeah. In the 90s. I don't think they did. I think a lot of it has come leaps and bounds in the last, like, 10 years, it sounds like. So, well, it that made, kind of bothered me. It made me feel like, so, very early on, and, you know, and like you said, there's a lot of little things that, like, you can see that you're like, okay, yeah, the twist is very obviously there. Um, but And I like that they yeah. put that in there. Like, oh, it's, yeah. But if you already know what the twist is, and it's the first yeah. time you saw, see the movie, it kind of beats it over your head. Yeah, because there's a lot of hints. There is a lot of hints. I liked it. I don't think it was until probably the fourth time that I saw it that I really the dialogue, and particularly the scene where he goes, he's basically begging his doctor, and very one of the first things in the movie, like, please give me anything. I need to sleep. Blah 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 blah. And he's like, I wake. He goes, I doze off, and I wake up in strange places. I don't even know where I'm at. And it's like to me that scene definitely makes you feel like Tyler. Way before he meets Tyler on that airplane, Tyler has been making a presence in the world. And you definitely yeah. feel with, like, Tyler's multiple jobs and stuff. So I feel like Tyler, the assistant of Tyler, I don't know if it was since he was a child, but definitely the assistance of Tyler has been there enough to establish himself in the world for multiple jobs. And in, even in the people he meets as well. I mean, I think... I. I think that could be supportive of the theory that he does have dissociative identity disorder. I'm I'm surprised on the internet how many how much lack of discussion about that there is nowadays. Like I thought there would be a ton of articles about like what does Tyler Durden have, but I guess everyone's just like doesn't care about the movie. But it's one of those things I think about. So I, I guess it could be supportive because it is true. You do. The reason you have dissociative identity disorder is because part of your brain puts up a wall in your brain that causes you to have an, a block of amnesia to block you from remembering something traumatic. 
they always call it like a system now like you're part of the same system it's kind of like the trinity in like catholicism you know um not to get too catholic i think (laughs) but i like you know it's the same person but they just have different sides of them but they do like usually have a different name and maybe have different interests and but it is true that a lot of times they have like a protector altar that will come out when they're threatened and is very strong and so I, I guess Tyler could be the protector. So, I, you know, I don't think they thought about it that much, which surprises me because Seven, everything is set up in Seven. I don't know if the script was just better for Seven, but everything is set up in Seven. And uh, the one thing I hated about Fight Club was the opening credits. And I actually wrote in my notes, wow, this must have been really cool when it came out. Because, like, it's like, fight club, fight club, fight club. It's just, like, in your face. But it's not saying anything. It's just, like, lights and sounds. And I was really disappointed because I very much enjoyed the opening sequence to Seven because it had little clues and stuff. And the opening sequence to Fight Club is just, like, bland and annoying. Isn't the opening sequence to Fight Club, like, I I don't know for sure, but I thought it was supposed to be, like, the neurons in his brain. That's boring. Yeah. <laughs> I would have rather seen, like, them making soap or something. Yeah. Like, I, cool. Yeah, that would have been cool, like, making soap or, like, and then, like, going tr- from him making soap to, like, making copies from his boring job to, like, like, I, I would have preferred something more creative. For the opening number. And I was like, oh no. So that was disappointing because I like David Fincher. And I really like Mindhunter. I didn't realize he did the girl with the dragon tattoo until I sat down and watched it. And was like, oh, David Fincher. I'd already seen the Swedish version. And I really like the Swedish version. But it's very long. I like David Fincher a lot too. And even like more recently with like uh, the curious case of Benjamin Button and Gone Girl. Like he has proven time and time again that he he's a very sound director for sure. Yeah. I like David Fincher a lot, but I don't think this is his best movie. I I didn't there the acting's good, the sets are good, the visuals are good, but he relies really heavily on computer like tricks. Like, the whole part where they go down into the basement to see the explosives and it's a computer-generated trick looks real cheap. And I just think it was unnecessary. Like, I also think the whole Tarantinoing it back to the beginning was completely unnecessary and kind of ruins the ending. I think they should have cut the whole part where he was has the gun in his mouth and Tyler Durden's uh, asking him questions. I don't think we should know anything about Tyler Durden. I think you should just start where you start the story. You know, personally, I think that I think you could have cut that whole scene. And maybe that's how the book starts. And maybe they're just trying to be, um, you know, I think they were very faithful to the book. But I, I, I really thought you could have cut that whole part because um, then you see it at the end anyway. So I, I get annoyed when they I mean, it was cool when Tarantino did it the first time I saw the Tarantino movie where they started at the end and went back. I was like, oh, this is really cool. But like the 20th time you see it, it's like, and by this time, Pulp Fiction came out, what, 94, 95? Yeah. Or maybe it was 93. No, I think it was 94. Yeah. Like it was five years ago. People were 
people were and and before that reservoir dogs did a similar thing too yeah so like we already knew about the tarantinoing so i kind of like it and also i hate when they do that at the beginning of the movie i hate when they show you the end and they show you that all the lead characters are still alive by the last scene because it completely breaks your tension because you're like well i know they're gonna survive to the last scene so every time something dangerous happens in the movie it's not scary because you know they survive to the end so i don't and again i don't know if this is david fincher or him just trying to be faithful to the book and maybe you know the book had it and i did read that uh i never know how to pronounce his name but chuck good old chuck p as i'm gonna call him because i never know how to say his last name um <laughs> he was optioned for this movie i think before the book was officially published like i guess he had put out some like samples of the story to some movie places and they had already started asking him before it actually officially got published you know they'd already been approaching him to do a movie so basically when this book was published they were like this needs to be a movie um and david fincher wanted to buy the rights himself and fox beat him too at fox searchlight which used to i don't even know if fox searchlight even exists anymore but they used to do like real indie films like they did little miss sunshine and just like really good like indie movies that like wouldn't have gotten the time of day they were like the a24 of way back then but this one they were i think they really were counting on this being a box office smash and i think it really surprised them when it wasn't a hit but again i think the whole columbine thing really affected people from seeing this movie like they would because afterwards when people kind of had time to breathe they really liked this movie, but it was very, it's almost superficial in the eyes of a tragedy like that, because it's all about consumerism yeah. and how we become sheep and slaves to consumerism. I do love the visuals when he's like showing all the prices of all his furniture, like an Ikea magazine. But I don't know. I did like a lot of the visuals. I just feel like it just didn't feel like David Fincher's best work. I don't think it's a bad movie. And I do absolutely love Helena Bonham Carter. She just embodies this tragic, fucked up person who's just undeniably herself, like unabashedly her. And I wish she did more movies like this, honestly. I think the only other movie that I really saw her where she was like believably a person was The King's Speech. I can't remember another movie where she wasn't, like, a caricature of a human being. You didn't know? She, didn't she get, and I've never seen it, but wasn't, like, A Room with a View, like, a big movie of hers, like, in the early 90s? You know, that's one that I keep saying I'm going to watch, and then I don't. Yeah. But um, I always get that the, the title of that and The View from Saturday mixed up. Because, and they're completely different books. Um, but, yeah, I think she was in that when she was very young. Yeah. Um, and she also, I think she was Ophelia in the Mel Gibson Hamlet, too. Which she was a good choice for that. But again, she was like, Ophelia is kind of, when she goes crazy, she's kind of a caricature. Yeah. Um, I really thought Marla was like a real person living in a really shitty city. Like, I don't think she's a good person, but I, I she is sympathetic. Yeah. You know? So really, I mean, it's I and I sound like I hated this movie. I didn't hate it, but I do feel like 
I didn't love it as much as I could have if I hadn't had the ending spoiled for me. I just... They hinted it so much that if you already know the ending, it gets a little annoying. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You're the same person. Like, I actually wrote down, wow, he's wasting a lot of airfare trying to hunt down himself. Yeah. Jeez, why does he not know this yet? Um, but um, one other thing. Oh, the other two things. I'm just going to say what I dislike because then we'll go to what we liked. But the other two things, I thought the cave thing that they start at the beginning just kind of disappears. Yeah. And that was a missed opportunity. I don't know if that happens in the book, but I thought that was kind of weird. I was like, why even bring it up if it's not going to play a part in the end? I didn't find out until researching with this most recent uh, time is that I never knew this before, but ice therapy is actually a big thing for insomniacs. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe that was it. Um, oh, another trivia point that I found out in the cave scene is that the breath that you see coming out of Edward Norton's mouth is recycled breath from the movie <laughs> Titanic from Leonardo DiCaprio because I guess they had the special effects and I guess they just paid the special effects artist for the already made breath, yeah. which I found hilarious. I was like, that's cute. Um, I thought they do bring Chloe back, the girl from the grief counseling session where she's like dying and she's like, I just want someone to fuck me because I'm lonely. Why didn't Tyler fuck her? That is a missed opportunity and like yeah. make her day. Like, wouldn't that have been a better, like, I, I feel like maybe, maybe he doesn't. Have you read the book? So, no, I, I believe it or not, Fight Club is the only Chuck Palahniuk book I think I haven't read. But I was told the major differences between the movie and the book, so. Okay. I'm curious if, like, he does have sex with Chloe in the book. Because I kind of didn't like the narrator. Because, like, he could have done a lot of nice things. But he's just kind of a selfish asshole. But he does become less of one at the end. So at least he had a growth. I feel like, you know, the reason he didn't have sex with Chloe is just quite simply he wasn't attracted to her. Well, yeah, but he could have. But as Tyler, <laughs> Tyler doesn't care if you're attractive. Tyler will fuck anything. Um, but I guess if it's him, I don't know. Um, what is there anything you didn't like about the movie, or like watching it for the tenth time that you're kind of like, eh? I'm kind of a little scared to tell you. So I like I like Helena Bowen Carter. I like Marla, but I think Marla kind of falls into Manic Pixie Dream Girl territory in this movie a little bit. Uh, yeah, but I think she did it. I think it's like what I'm saying about, like, the multiple personality, they are the same character kind of thing. Which, I'm sorry I keep using multiple personality, but the alter thing, like the same person and same person is both the characters. I think they did it so far ahead of everybody else that probably when this came out, everyone was like... Oh my god. Like they didn't know what a manic pixie dream girl was. Yeah. I don't think anyone really coined that phrase until Zoe De Chanel. And what is that uh uh la what is oh 100 days of summer? Yeah, 500 days of summer. Um, or 500 days of summer. Sorry. I think, I think it was a trope we were kind of seeing really become prevalent in the late 90s and early 2000s because I think of Penny Lane in uh Almost Famous. I think of uh Natalie Oh yeah. Natalie Portman. She made a pixie though. A little bit, yeah. Like, I feel like she is. I feel like Natalie Portman in Garden State is, too. 
Yeah, I've kind of avoided Garden State. I feel like I feel like it's gonna be one of these movies when I I started I watched the beginning of it and I just kind of got bored and stopped watching it. But then everyone's like, Garden State's amazing, so it's one of those like maybe I'll go back and watch it eventually. Yeah. But I feel like maybe it's gonna be like Fight Club. Like it's gonna. I don't really know what happens in it except people are depressed. But I feel like Zach Braff was very much a product of his time. And I love Scrubs, but I feel like I don't know if he's going to hold hold my attention nowadays. Um, yeah, I, she is definitely, I think she does fall into that category. But she's a little more tragic. I don't think of Manic Pixie Dream Girl as having, like, drug issues. I guess that's why, like, tragic, su- you know, borderline suicidal drug issues. And, I, and, and and even the suicide thing, she even says, like, you know, this is probably, like, a half-pleaded cry for help. And, like, you know, it's like... I guess I love that she's honest about how fucked up she is. Like, she doesn't pretend to be perfect. Well, well I think what my problem is is that when I... When, realistically, I rewatched it again, I was like, Marla does not get a lot of screen time. She really doesn't. Like, I feel in the... And, and I think the movie's, like, two, two hours and, like, five, ten minutes or something like that. I'm like, we maybe see Marla all of 30 minutes on screen. Because I feel like when she's in scenes, she's in short scenes that last like two or three minutes. She's very interesting, the glimpses we get of her, but we don't get to know a lot about her at all. Well, I think that's because he doesn't get to know a lot about her until he realizes he's been having a relationship with her. Yeah. Because he kind of avoids her as himself. But when he's Tyler, he's actually having an actual relationship with her. Maybe that's why. Maybe. I mean, he once once he figures out what's going on and tries to confront her, you see her more often. And I do like the scene in the diner because it's it's pretty good. I, th- I do like that they pepper the humor throughout this entire movie. Like, even in serious scenes, there's humor. And I yeah. do like that. It's not... It's not a boring movie because I did. I made myself watch it twice because yeah. I just went to. I honestly didn't miss anything the first time because I think if I hadn't known the twist, seeing it twice would have been like, oh my God, look at all these clues. But I already saw them because I already knew the twist. So I feel bad like watching this movie and judging it like this. And also, I do feel like it's definitely a product of its own time because yeah. it's very dated. Brad Pitt's hair. And that little leather jacket he wears with the lapels. Yeah. Very dated. I think uh, <laughs> my favorite outfit he wears in this movie is like when they're in a department store selling soap and he's wearing like, it looks like red business pants, but you can literally see like his whole um, crap. I forgot like what the V line that guys have. Like, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm like, it's like resting below his hips. The pants are literally resting, like, below his hips. And I'm like, what like, the hell is he wearing? <laughs> it's like Keanu Reeves in uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Like, they knew what they were doing. They knew, like, like they only think of Brad Pitt as a boy toy. I don't think David Fincher thinks of Brad Pitt as a boy toy. I think David Fincher actually respects him as an actor. Obviously, he's cast him more than once. Um, but... I, I do think the the Fox Studios were like, you dress him as pretty as you can. Make him be shirtless in another scene. Because Edward Norton is shirtless in some of the scenes, but not in, like, a sexy way. He's only really shirtless when he's fighting. And yeah. he's just, like, he's, like, running in his underwear through town. Like, he's just goofy. Um, 
I was about to say, since you brought up his underwear, I've always loved how they put him in, like, boxers. Like, he's not, like, a boxer briefs. Oh, yeah. He's, like, boxers. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, did they even have boxer briefs back then? Is that, like, now I'm going to start to question that. I always thought they were a thing. Were they not? <laughs> well, because, like, I like, back then, like, I'm thinking about, like, Friends, like, watching old Friends episodes. Because, like... I didn't really get into Friends until I was probably, like, 11 or 12, even though it had been going on for a few years. Because, like, I, like people joking about their sex lives doesn't really enthuse an 8-year-old. Um, but they do make... There's always that joke in that, like, time frame. Boxers or briefs. Boxers and briefs. And they never mention boxer briefs. I think that was, like, an invention when we were in high school. Like, I don't think they had boxer briefs until, like, much later on. Um... Not much, but, like, I think it was, like, something that came out when we were, like, in high school or something. So, thank God, because I don't want to see your boxers through your tight... Like, it probably came about with emo kids, because, like, they would wear, like, tight pants. (laughs) And they were like, nobody wants to see those bunched-up boxers, but nobody went to wear tidy whities either. So, I bet that was part of it. Yeah, and, uh, well, I guess to reflect back real quick, so I do like Marla. I don't mean that, like, I think Marla is a very interesting character, but I wish we got more of her, and I wish we got to learn more about her. Um, I yeah. Think, and this is a very nitpicky thing, but this most recent time I was watching it, it this is going to sound so weird, probably, and I don't know if it's because I've seen it so many times, but the end felt really anticlimactic. Not the last scene. I love the last scene of the movie. I love yeah. the last but the actual, when he shoots himself, it's just like, he's kind of sitting there, he's like, you're holding the gun, which means I'm holding the gun. And then Tyler's like, oh, okay, you're holding the gun. And then he's like, okay, and he shoots himself. And it just didn't feel, the buildup didn't feel right. I yeah. Feel. Again, just, there's a there's a buildup like that in the season three finale of Mr. Robot, and it has done so much better. Like, I've watched it for, like, the fourth time I've seen it, and I'm still like... Oh, God, who's going to get shot? It's great. Um, please watch Mr. Robot. It's so good. Um, it's totally worth it. It's only four seasons. And only three of them are free on Amazon Prime right now. So, you know, you can just watch three. But I'm pretty sure you'll want to watch season four because the season three finale is something to behold. Anyways, sorry. I really like Mr. Robot. Anyways, and this movie has, like, Mr. Robot was heavily influenced by Fight Club. But it's just like, it's just like a... Like a more intricate look into Fight Club. And the ending isn't as happy as Fight Club is. Because um, they don't die, right? Because their building didn't get exploded, right? They yeah. just watch everybody else explode. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree with the Marla thing. I wish they had kind of developed her a little bit more. Like maybe they could have had a scene where like they... Like I wish like the scene where... He was, like, checking her boob for cancer. Maybe went on. Like, maybe she took him out to breakfast or something to thank him. And they had, like, a conversation about, like, where'd you come from or something. So they could be, like, a little bit closer. But really, she was just after his dick the whole time. Yep. Which makes sense if they're in a relationship and he just doesn't remember all their relationship time. But she just, like, she has so much humor just, like, off screen where she's just, like... There's, like, that scene where he... Op- Apparently, this was the biggest laugh, by the way, where he opens up... Tyler opens up the door, and he's just wearing, like, a giant glove. rubber glove. And you yeah. can hear Marla, like, moaning orgasmically in the background. 
And then, like, she falls off the bench. She's like, I found the cigarette! Like, there's just so much, like, funny stuff. Like, she peppers in throughout the whole scene. And I, do, I don't think we see her a lot, but we certainly hear her a lot. And yeah. we hear about her. And he's just, like, obsessive about her. Whether he hates her or loves her, he's always talking about her. They have a very unhealthy relationship. Um, I did like, if I'm talking about stuff I liked, the two traveling montages were really great like the first one he's like disrespected they're like sir you're gonna have to wait for three and a half hours for this fight it doesn't board yet and he's just like always upset and then like the second like airport montage where he's flying and all the fight clubs have already been established because they get established throughout the entire like country um he, like, everyone treats him really nicely, and you don't notice him waiting at all. And it's it's interesting, because he's such a defeated person in the beginning. So, like, even though Tyler Durden is a terrible person, um, that side of him has made him a happier person. Because he is more, like, he gets respect. Um, so it's like, yeah, Tyler Durden served his purpose, and now it's time for him to go by the end. So, and I also love the cartoons they did. <laughs> That joke was great. I laughed out loud. Like, they have, like, you know what I'm talking about? What cartoons? So, when they meet in the airplane, he, he comments oh, on the yeah. fact that yeah. the little airplane cartoons are, like, everybody's placid because they're all high on oxygen. That's which I don't know how accurate that is. I, I don't believe. He's kind of like the flat earthers where he's just like, yeah oxygen gets you high he's trying to blow your mind it's like when people are like the earth is flat and you're like no it's not dude but it's not like it just kind of reminded me of those kind of people but he's like yeah oxygen gets you high um but then they redo all the little cartoons and everyone's screaming and there's fire everywhere it's it's great it's like a great visual gag and they just it's just a little part but i loved it so much um also, I don't know if you noticed this, but the welcome video in the hotel in the first montage is eerily similar to the ending picture with Jack Nicholson and all the hotel people um, in The Shining. Oh, yeah, that is cool. Like, like I was like, is that on purpose or is it just like a, like just a coincidence? Um, so I did like that. I mean, I think the visuals are good. I just, I think that... David Fincher was trying new stuff that was available to him. Uh, visually, I don't think the computer stuff works. Like, I didn't like all those, like, fast shots. And I guess, was this after The Matrix or right before The Matrix? It was the same technology as The Matrix, yeah. Yeah, that, so it's kind of like, everybody was really getting into that computer-generated look. And I probably looked great back then. And I, I will say, like, I'm a big Star Wars nerd. And I love the original trilogy. I love the part where Luke Skywalker is fighting with the Rancor in the Rancor pit in Return of the Jedi. When I was a little kid, I thought it looked really good. As I got older, you can see this, like, black line around the Rancor because of the visual effect. Like, they were just very limited back then, and they had to cut him in physically into the film. So I'm sure, like, a lot of it's just you know, how they were limited with computer generation. But people were trying to use stuff. So... I think probably if you saw it when it came out, it would have looked fine. But me, I was just like, well, that looks stupid. 
But <laughs> also, like, I feel bad because, like, I like David Fincher. I just didn't love this movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's worth watching for at least historical context because it was kind of a cult classic. It was one of the first ones out there. Um, also, I love when Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt is being goofy, like when he's doing karate in the background while yeah. the narrator is talking to Marlo on the phone. I was just like, what is this? He's like, ah! And I was just like, what is the hell is going on? Um, yeah. I, I, did you know that, uh, just fun trivia, unless there's anything else you want to point out that you love? Yeah, um, I actually, I think to this day, um, so yeah, and I understand what you're saying. A lot of the computer stuff they decide to use, like even when they're showing his, uh, condo blowing up and they're showing how it could have possibly blown up yeah Ooh, actually yeah. that thing didn't bother me as much as the sex scene with marlo where she's like a computer generated yeah. video game character yeah that took i was like what the hell is going that's on the same, that's the same bullet technology they use in the matrix like the infamous like matrix yeah. scene yeah that's that same it's i i don't think it's actually called bullet technology but that's the same I know, yeah yeah um but I still love to this day. I feel like this movie is very stylized, and I feel like this this is is from start to finish is a very strong like the coloring is like very neon. It's kind of dark. Um, you know, there's these like pops. So like maybe I feel like the color scheme is very red, green, yellow in most scenes. Like I don't know. It feels like very co coherent from start to finish. If that makes sense. Yeah, so cohesive. I like cohesive. Thank cohesive. You. Yeah. Cohesive. Yes. So it's like, I feel like there's a very strong directing style. And I really, really appreciate that. I just think it's fun. To be honest, it's kind of a trip. Like, just when you're watching it. Um, it's just, it's one. It, so I guess a lot of people could sit there and, like, talk about the philosophy of Fight Club. And talk about, like, you know, we're all just consumers and blah, blah, blah. But for me, I just yeah. like watching the movie because it's fun. Like, Yeah, I think if yeah. you go too deep into the meaning of it like too past the surface it falls apart i think i think that's what i'm saying with all the stuff with the dissociative identity disorder and stuff like that i think this movie on the surface is fun and interesting and it does have some commentary on consumerism but it doesn't really beat you in the face about it i think it's a movie that should be enjoyed almost on a surface level and yeah you should think about some things it's saying but i think it's much more enjoyable when you don't overthink it yeah um and i do think that I liked the visuals when they weren't using computer stuff. I yeah. really liked how everything looked like in the disgusting apartment. It was such a stark contrast to his original apartment. And it was just so disgusting. I could not believe someone was living there. Um, I love all the visuals. I love the, the scenes in the fight club looks really good. Not just because Brad Pitt is shirtless and man, he was ripped for that movie. Um, but I think the visuals are really good when they're not trying to rely on computers. I think it's one of those things like sometimes like you don't need really like computer generated stuff. Like just, it's fine to not have it, but I think he was like kind of playing around with it. And again, they thought this movie was going to be a huge hit because they were, you know, offering Chuck P money before the book even came out from what I read. So I don't think they thought it was like, even if the effects looked weird that they were going to have a problem with it. So I think they probably did some stuff like just to have fun with it. 
you know, to try it out. And again, I'm sure it looks a lot better in 1999 than it does now. So I feel bad judging it. But, you know, I feel like Jurassic Park looks better than this movie in the computer generated stuff. But that's because they used a lot of practical effects. And that's I just like movies with practical effects better. They just look more realistic. Yeah. You know, it takes me out of it when I can tell something was computer generated. But it's a little bit of like knowing how the sausage is made kind of thing. Like if you've if you've studied movies at all, like even just from an amateur perspective, once you know how something looks when it's badly computer generated or like bad acting or bad directing, once you know that someone's doing something not as great as it could be, it kind of ruins it for you. So it's not really the movie's fault. Sorry, David. On another note, I also love the ending shot of this film. It's probably one of my favorite shots in a movie. It is, and I really like the music. Well, the music has been overused now, but I I think it fits really well Mm -hmm. um, in the movie. And I I, I don't think that song would have been so overused if it wasn't in Fight Club. I think people really held on to it. And it is like... (sighs) Brad Pitt is just like Mr. Mr. Cool the whole time. And I guess... Maybe that bothered me. I just thought they, like, overdid the cool thing. And they almost overdid Marla being, like, the cool manic pixie dream girl. Like, uh, Edward Norton is definitely the most realistic character. But he's the only real character. I I guess Marla's a real person. But, you know, Tyler Durden's not real. So, I guess that makes sense. It it makes sense. I just, and again, I just feel bad. Because, like, I really wish this movie hadn't been ruined for me. And I really wish I'd seen it earlier. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, I think they did. I think it's a good movie and I think people should see it. I do have some fun trivia. Did you know that, uh, Richmond Arquette, who's one of the Arquette siblings from like, uh, Patricia Arquette and David Arquette, uh, he would play the doctor in this movie. I did not know that. That is one of the Arquette siblings, but apparently he's been in a lot of Fincher movies because he had a credit for, I think, I think seven and maybe Gone Girl. And maybe a couple other Fincher movies. It's like, I guess he uses him a lot in minor roles. So they must be like friends or something. And then there were some real life crimes that were inspired by this movie. Including somebody bombing the outside. I don't think that anyone was killed. But somebody, there was like a teenager that set off a bomb in front of a Starbucks in New York. Um, which they never say where this movie's based. I think it's supposed to be in either Philadelphia or New Jersey. Um, because I couldn't, I could not figure out what city this was based in. It's not New York city, but it's definitely a major city. Yeah. Um, I think they do say, I think it's supposed to be a New Jersey city or maybe it was a Philadelphia city or not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania city. I'm sorry. A Philadelphia city. It's not Philadelphia. Um, I, I think it's one of those cities. Um, and then there's also the infamous 2015 Baby Fight Club that people oh, were doing, God. which is really awful. So, like, like I think a lot of, like, super conservative movie-hating people kind of were like, oh, this movie did this. But, I mean, again, why did your teenager see Fight Club? Like, if your teenager is kind of maybe not well-behaved and maybe he's showing signs of aggression, maybe don't let him see Fight Club. Or maybe see it before your kid sees it so he doesn't get any ideas. I don't know. That's what my parents always did. Like, if there was a movie I went to see that was, like, rated R or, like, just had, like, bad stuff in it, they'd be like, well, let us watch it first 
And then if we think you can handle it, we'll let you watch it. And most of the time they did, but there were a couple of movies they're like, you don't need to see this right now. Like maybe wait a couple of years and then see it. So, you know, and I did, it was funny seeing Jared Leto get his ass beat. That's great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't hate Jared Leto. I just think he seems like a strange man. Always. He, he never seems normal. I'm sorry, Jared Leto. You probably already know this bit of trivia, but it's it's one of my favorite bits of trivia. So in the um of course there's a scene in the movie where Tyler's like, You won't believe the shit this girl says during sex. And um so in the original novel, she says the line, I want to have your abortion. And so they filmed yeah. it. They filmed it and they put it in the script and one of the producers was like, Absolutely not. Take it, take it out, take it out. I don't care what you yeah. put in there, just take it out. Right. <laughs> it with uh i haven't been fucked like that since grade school <laughs> yeah uh yeah marlis has a lot of awful questionable things i did know that trivia also that i think it was the same producer didn't want to have him wearing that rubber glove yeah. <laughs> but everyone laughed at it so she was like i guess leave it in yeah <sighs> so i mean i get it because it's like where do you draw the line being a censor for you know, a big group. And I'm, I'm like, think about how censored movies are now. Like you either have movies that are produced by like places like A24, which are just completely left to the director's devices. And they just completely trust the director, give them all the freedom possible. Or you have like huge studio movies like Ghostbusters 2016 that has like 25 writers and like no cohesive story because a committee approved everything, you know, I don't know if that's the best one. I definitely think, like, the DC, like, and Avengers movies, like, the DC and the Marvel movies, a lot of those, they kind of, like, oh, no, here's a better one. You know that uh, Fantastic Four remake that flopped? Yeah. Like, that one where they were, like, they hire this independent director, and then they control everything he does, and then he gets pissed off, so he just doesn't want to work on the movie, and it ends up being terrible. You know, like, that happens when you have too much studio interference, but then... Some movies you need a big budget, but then like look at Paris. I think what was Parasite was like eleven million dollars to make. Really? Like oh yeah, it was not a lot of money. Um, because like almost one. I mean, I think more than one donor, but the the little the little cute the cute little lady from the Oscars with like the red hair who was like, let's thank our director. I think she's like our esteemed director. She was so cute. I love that lady. Uh, Mikey Lee, I think is her name. She um. I think she fronted a lot of the money for Parasite. So it wasn't a ton of money if one person can front most of the, of the bill. And I mean, I know there's a lot of movies that rely on CGI and it is really expensive to animate things. Um, but then they don't pay animators very much anyways. I feel like they pay more for like Robert Downey Jr. to be in that, which I, I like Robert Downey Jr. I just think we've gotten to a point where we pay these actors this inflated amount of money. And yes... It is kind of a, like, it is kind of capitalist, like, I'm not an anti-capitalist completely, but I like to see a little bit of, like, I don't know, I kind of think competition is good, which is why I'm okay with capitalism, but then whenever there's a monopoly anywhere, you just have problems with it, which is why that game is such hell. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but, like, you know, there's that terrible, awful, awful comedy Jack and Jill that Adam Sandler did. And if you have not watched a Red Letter Media video, 
start with the review of Jack and Jill. It's in two parts, and they go over, I think it's in the second part, how allegedly, basically, Adam Sandler made that movie for, like, $5 million. But the budget was, like, $45 million or something like that. And basically, all that $40 million went to him and his friends, who all worked for, like, a day. Like, he had, like, like David Spade come in, and then he had, like, he, had all, he has all these little cameos in his movies, and all these people make, like, a couple million dollars for, like, a day's work. And I'm like, I just don't understand that in Hollywood. I just think you pay actors. Not that I don't think actors should make money, but I think we pay actors so much that we don't pay people like nurses and teachers. And I think it's just a waste of money because even though I love movies and I love entertainment and I would love to have a career in the entertainment industry, I think it's a little bloated to pay people several million dollars just to act. I mean, I think, I don't know. I feel like we pay actors too much. Like, I don't think we should like completely stop paying them. I don't think we should go back to like before unions existed but I think it's a little ridiculous to pay Adam Sandler like $20 million to be in a movie that flops. Yeah. Because, I don't know, it just seems like society, like we value superficial things. Like, maybe not after all this tragedy, because, like, have you noticed, like, after all the celebrities did that terrible Imagine song, like, nobody's done anything else like that? It's all been like, yeah, I'm just going to stay home and just Skype my interviews. It's fine. Like, they tried and everyone's like, y'all, like, we don't care about you singing Imagine. We're trying to deal with an actual issue here. So, I don't know. I just find it interesting especially since we're talking about a movie that deals with consumerism it is like people spend a lot of money on movies and so that's why movie actors get paid but then like actors are just not very smart people like i'm sorry i i studied acting i'm not that smart of a person like i just like leonardo dicaprio sorry leonardo dicaprio he's not the smartest man in the world i've seen interviews with him he's not a stupid person but he d- did not, he dropped out of high school to act. He got his GED, but I don't think he ever tried to get a higher education. And it kind of shows, like, he has matured as a person. I think now he's a lot smarter than he was. But if you've ever seen, like, him and his, like, pussy posse going after girls, like, he's just, like, he just had a terrible existence as a young person. And, like, it's, like, there are all these people, like, putting themselves in all this debt to go to college when, like, people like Leonardo DiCaprio didn't even try to go to college and they're like rolling in the riches. And I'm not like, that's a bad example. I mean, I don't know if it's a bad example. I just think it's an example. Cause like he didn't value education, but yet people listen to him when he talks about world issues. And I'm like, but he doesn't really like, I mean, maybe he self-educated himself. I don't know, but I would rather so many people listen to the Kardashians about, real life world issues like who to vote for and global warming and like social issues. And I'm like, these people don't know any more than you know, because they're just actors. They're people playing make-believe on camera. And some of them are very intelligent people, but they're not all built the same, you know, like, I don't know. I just like sometimes I just like so many people I know just blindly follow celebrities like people are just like I love the Kardashians I love Beyonce I love I'm trying to think of somebody else who's really outspoken and has like a reality tv show I love the bachelor 
Like, people are just like, I will do whatever they tell me to do for, like, big issues. And I'm like, maybe don't listen to actors for big issues. I know they're pretty, and they're on a big old screen, but they're not any more intelligent than you are, necessarily. I do think there are some actors who actually went back to college. There's people that have, like, doctoral degrees. Heck, the... And he, he's not the actor, but Brian May from Queen, who, God rest him, he's, he's not dead. Just God bless him. Sorry, he's not dead. Yeah, like, wait, not what? dead as of this podcast. He what? ripped his butt. Did you hear about that? No. Brian May was aggressively gardening, apparently, and he ripped his butt to shreds. So he's been in the hospital. So I my prayers go out to Brian May, because I love you, Brian May. Um, <laughs> but he's an astrophysicist. Like... Like, like people, I'm not saying every person who is in Hollywood is stupid, but there's a whole lot of them. And it always bothers me how people I know, like, just vote for whoever their favorite celebrity votes for. I'm not saying, like, either way. I get that celebrity endorsements are a thing, but it just bothers me that people are just like, well, Leonardo DiCaprio said this thing is true, so it must be true. I'm like, nah, I mean, I don't, I don't know his educational background you don't have to study acting you don't have to be certified to be an actor so i don't know it bothers me sometimes this whole celebrity like they're like royalty like we just we just take what they do and we just believe them and i'm like but they're really good at faking things like not saying i mean i don't know i'm so harsh on actors again i'm a jaded individual who didn't get to follow her career that she wanted to. So maybe I'm just, you know, jaded and rude, but I do find it funny that people just listen to people like Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't really know why I went on that tangent, except that this movie was about consumerism, but I don't know. Oh, but I, I do think people should watch the Jack and Jill movie, you know? Oh, I think it was about like the, like how much money the studios spend and how like, you know, we do have places like A24 that do give directors freedom, but every other studio seems to just not really give freedom to their directors, unless it's someone like David Fincher or, gosh, I'm trying to think of somebody else who they wouldn't interfere with. Mm, Quentin Tarantino? Ah, he's a pretty good option, yeah. Well, of course, he worked with Miramax for such a long time, and now that no one... I don't know. Is Miramax even around anymore? I feel like, or Weinstein Company, because it was it was Miramax and Weinstein, and then, I mean, the yeah. Weinstein's are they're gone. That thank God. Ugh. Oh, that man's so gross. Um, anyways, but yes, prayers out to Brian May. I hope his butt recovers soon, because I really like Brian May, and I like seeing him play guitar. Yeah. Like, on. On, like, talk shows, they're just like, and Brian May is going to be... I mean, yeah, I get Adam Lambert singing for Queen now, but I don't really care about that. I want to see Brian May. I think Roger Taylor still plays the drums for them. But their bassist... Their bassist hasn't played for them for a while. I think he just kind of wanted to have a normal life. But, I don't know. Well, is there anything else we want to say about Fight Club? So, I guess we should get into our ratings for this, and, um, and then I guess we could get some wrapped up and talk about okay. next week pick. Okay. Um, so, I would say, if I'm going to rate, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, out of five, I'm giving acting a four, because it was very good, but it 
there's some some nuances we're missing. Directing again, I'd give it a four because it's solid, but there's some like again nuances we're missing. Again, 1999. I think David Fincher had only done seven and maybe one other movie before this, like big movies. So I'm gonna forgive him. We all have to grow. Um, uh, watchability. I'd give it a three because I do think there's a lot of rough sex stuff. You know, I don't think you should show this to your five year old or your grandma. But there's not a ton of. There's only really the weird computer generated nudity. It's there's not a lot of nudity, which is good. But there's a lot of like over the clothes grabbing of genitals and stuff. And then I'd say like production's a good three, maybe even a four, because it is like the visuals are good when they're not use, relying on computers. And for me, Gore's like at a three, even though everyone's punching each other's face. It's not a lot of close-ups of it and stuff, and I wasn't really, like, shocked by it. I think, honestly, if you've ever seen Cinderella Man with, uh, I think, Russell, Russell Crowe? Yeah, Russell Crowe. it's Russell Crowe. It's a good movie, but that movie actually made me a lot more, like, about people getting punched in the face because it was very up close and personal. Also, Paul Giamatti's in that movie. Love him. Uh, but do you want to know what I, like, gave the name, the nickname for that rating? What's, what's the nickname? I wonder if it's the same as yours, because it is one of my favorite parts. Rated B for bitch tits. There you go. What was I, yours? I actually completely blanked and didn't give my usual <laughs> letter oh, grade. Oh, no! Yeah, I know. Can you believe it? I did it. Um, But B, B for bitch tits. I do like that a lot. I mean, I like I that, too. Um, I would say I give this maybe like a 7 out of 10. Solid. Yeah. But definitely not Perfect, but good movie. You should still see it. What What's your like out of ten? I would say like probably to me an eight. Um, now I've been very honest about like that since I kind of grew up with this movie, I may be clouded in some ways in my view of it. Um, but I just I keep going back to it's probably one of the first cult classics we have seen come out of the time we've been alive. Um, and yeah, I think it's really special. Um, because when we think of cult films, I think a lot of the films I think of as being cult. Uh, from like the 70s and 80s so I mean to see this movie you know still going strong in like these young people's minds like oh you know like I went to high school and I remember seeing like the guy I had a crush on wearing a fight club shirt and it just had the bar of soap with fight club on it and so I mean it's yeah. such a I didn't even really know how much the soap had to do with it but because it's on the billboard like it is a really big part of our generation like everyone makes jokes about like first real fight club mm. so you don't talk about fight club like yeah. everybody does that um it yeah i really think it's a like i think it's it's a solid movie I, again like i don't think it's perfect which is why i gave it a seven but it's not bad like it's not a bad movie and again if you don't know the twist you'll probably enjoy it a lot more than i did that influenced a lot of it and i feel bad because, like, there's some movies that I see that are just shit, and I will give it, like, a 5 out of 10, and I think it deserves it. But I do think, just like you you have a nostalgia, you have nostalgia glasses about this movie. I'm seeing this through, like, a ruined twist glasses. I'm just like, yeah, I see through all of it. And I, it probably would have been cool if I had it, like, the second time watching. But, like, oh, look, they, like, and they, okay, I didn't say this before, but they did do a good job, even though the physicality of when they're together and when they're not and blah, 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 kind of didn't make sense. Like, why is he talking to him in the basement when he's not in the basement? And why is there sound coming from the basement 
when he's talking to Marla, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, logically, the logic's kind of out the window. Um, they, they paid attention to detail. Um, I just feel like they didn't pay as much attention as movies now have. And I think that's part of, like, they were doing something different that hadn't been done before. So you have to give credit where credit's due. Like, we wouldn't have the Avengers without Star Wars, you know? People wouldn't be in... Or, I guess Guardians of the Galaxy is even more of a... Like, we wouldn't have Guardians of the Galaxy if it wasn't for Star Wars making people like space, you know? So, like, I do think you have to give credit where credit's due. And it's not a bad movie! It's it's not just because I'm giving it a 7 and not a 10 doesn't mean it's bad i just think it's it's a little flawed but i think it's partially uh just the time it came out so (laughs) okay so it is my turn to pick the movie we're gonna watch and i am going to pick a movie that i've been wanting to make myself watch for a long time and it is called dog tooth from 2009 by Yorgos Lanthanos, I think uh, my computer decided to die, like tap out as soon as I was trying to look up his name. Um, oh my gosh, it doesn't say the director's name. There he is. Yorgos, yeah, Yorgos Lanthanos. Sorry. So we're picking Dogtooth. Yorgos Lanthanos is the director and it is on the Shutter app for... Um, Amazon Prime, or if you just have Shutter, it's definitely on Shutter. Brittany has heard that there is some animal violence in it. Um, I don't, I haven't heard about the animal violence, but I do know it's a, it is a violent movie. Like the the picture on the cover is like a girl with blood smeared all over her face. So they're not really hiding anything. Um, I am going to tell people before we watch a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. I don't know if that this is how this movie is because I haven't seen it, but I've seen some of his movies and everybody has a very strange canter in the way they talk in his movies. And it is very stylized. And I think, Brittany, you've seen, I think, more of his movies than I've seen. I think we're, I think we may be batting the same. The favorite is, you know, The Critical Darling, probably his most well-known movie. And it is a great movie. And what I will say is if you think The Favorite is weird, it has nothing on the lobster. Supposedly, Dogtooth is even weirder than the lobster. So we are about to be in for a ride. So Yeah, which, I mean, I like that he kind of follows this trend of super weird to very um, accessible. And again, Yorgos Lanthimos is a really good director. I'm curious what his early work is like. So I think this will be a good lesson learning. But if, if it's too much for you guys, it's okay. Like, if you, if you ever feel like any movies we recommend to you are just emotionally too much for you, there's no shame in that. Just don't watch it and catch us next week. Like, it's totally okay. And we might love this movie. We might hate this movie. I don't really know. I'm very... This is one of the reasons why I haven't watched it yet. It's been on my list for a very long time. But I've always been like, I don't know. Like, I hear weird things about this movie. So... Um, we will see you next week. So um, we'll catch you guys later. Brittany, thanks for uh, recommending Fight Club. I'm glad I finally watched it. Thank you, Katie, for opening yourself to watching it. I know it was <laughs> your favorite, um, but I'm, I'm glad you've seen it. And you can say all those weird little pop cultural reference, you know, lines. All I the can. Time. I can now say I haven't been fucked like that since middle school or elementary school no i'm not going to say that to people but 
You can I now know what Paper Soap Company is. You can now solemnly say his name was Robert Paulson. Oh, we forgot to talk about that. But he does come back. His name was Robert Paulson. His name was Robert, name Paul- was Robert Paulson. That was creepy. Um, anyways. Yeah, I think there's a note of mine that says, Man, now they're just all fucking brainwashed idiots. What the hell's going on? <laughs> anyways, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, let us know if there's anything you want us to watch because we want to do, like, I think kind of, Brittany, didn't your husband kind of come up with Fight Club this week? I think he I think he said it was a good one because it's such, you know, like we, we talked about, it's a cult classic. And, and we typically do movies that maybe are not as mainstream. I think it was fun to do one that is just a little bit more mainstream, too. Yeah. And I, I do think this fit the bill because it wasn't mainstream originally and it's just kind of become mainstream. Yeah. And that reminded me, uh, he also requested us to, I think, American Beauty. Yeah. Which I don't want to talk about, but I feel like I feel like it's like Fight Club. I had a very different view of it than I thought I would when I started watching it. But anyways, we're going to let you guys go. Have a great week. We love you. Thanks for listening. Take care, and we look forward to being with you again next week, guys. Bye! The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray, and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty-free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. See you soon.